Welcome to Global Dispatches, a podcast for the foreign policy and global development communities and anyone who wants a deeper understanding of what is driving events in the world today. I'm your host, Mark Leon Goldberg, editor of UN Dispatch. Enjoy the show. Hong Kong used to have one of the most vibrant media ecosystems in all of Asia. Just a few years ago, you could read newspapers, visit websites, or watch television programming with news, analysis, and opinion from across the ideological and political spectrum. But not today. Rather, there is an ongoing crackdown on independent media in Hong Kong. Outlets large and small are being shut down, ostensibly for violating newly enacted laws intended to suppress the pro-democracy movement. On the line with me from Hong Kong to discuss the plight of independent media there is Austin Ramsey of the New York Times. He published an article in early January, which was the inspiration for this interview, and I'll post a link to that in the show notes. And if you are new to the podcast, you might not be aware that Global Dispatches published its first book last year about the demise of democracy and free speech in Hong Kong. The book, titled For the Love of Hong Kong, A Memoir from My City Under Siege by Hannah Mahon Davis, offers readers a searing first-person account of living through an era in which freedoms once widely enjoyed are suddenly stripped away. It's a great short book and can be read in one or two sittings. Follow the links in the show notes to learn more. Please buy the book. You'd be supporting the podcast and you will learn a lot. All right, now here is my conversation with Austin Ramsey of the New York Times. Looking for a trustworthy podcast to bring you unfiltered viewpoints and experiences on global health? Tune into Global Health Matters, the podcast that connects silos and amplifies diverse voices to give you a holistic picture. Each month, Dr. Gary Aslanian from the World Health Organization hosts discussions with guests spanning former ministers of health, award-winning journalists and authors, and frontline public health workers. Join listeners from across 180 countries for an exciting Season 4, launching in June. Global Health Matters is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and YouTube. Before we discuss the suppression of press freedom in Hong Kong, I would love to have you describe the media scene in Hong Kong just a few years ago, before this crackdown commenced. I take it it was a a rather vibrant one. Yeah, and that's a good way to start this. Um, You know, Hong Kong for a long time had one of the most vibrant media scenes uh, in Asia, strong freedom of the press and protections of, of press freedoms. And there were quite a, a lot of, of, of different outlets, um, of, of different options, um, both in English and in Chinese. You know, everything from newspapers controlled by the Chinese Communist Party, um, more mainstream uh, outlets in, in English and in Chinese. And then um, starting, you know, about 25 years ago with the creation of Apple Daily, there were these, a segment of the press that was sort of... Uh, uh, vocally pro-democracy, that that sort of grew, uh, particularly after protest movements. In you know, there was a big protest movement in 2014 called the um, the Umbrella Movement, and some several sort of digital outlets came out of that, and they were you know very focused on um, covering the you know the political movements that were 
that were born from those protests or, or helped generate those protests. Um, they were, you know, very interested in and um, the pursuit of uh, of democracy in Hong Kong. Hong Kong has a, sort of a, a partially democratic system, although it's um, many would say it's becoming less democratic because of some recent electoral changes. These these outlets were leaders in in live streaming protests and things like that. For the uh, the average Hong Konger, um, whether you consume your your news in in English or or Chinese, um, there's sort of a, a a gamut of outlets that that you could you could read that would would offer a, a variety of, of political opinions. Like, and I take it not like so dissimilar to any like major like Western city. Yeah, yeah, I think that's a good way to look at. It. So, but but that has all changed. How and when did this start to to change? When did like this vibrant free press milieu? no longer become the the space that it once was how did this start well i i think the the change sort of started with um the uh the 2019 protest movement and and the end of the 2019 protest movement um so in 2019 um pretty much the second half of the year um um, hong kong was was engulfed by by large protests um sometimes sometimes violent particularly towards the end um the, the it started around a, um, a proposal to allow extraditions to to mainland china but became this sort of uh, uh movement focused on a lot of things um a lot of issues with the government um including the, the slow pace of democratization so in 2020 um those uh protests were were brought to an end through a, a few things. Um, policing became much more aggressive. Um, the pandemic started, so there were restrictions on public gatherings. But there was also a, a sort of a, a legal campaign um, that started, and well, you know, it started earlier. But we, Hong Kong first sort of learned about it in in the spring of 2020, and there was a. Uh, uh, a very broad national security law that was uh, put in place um, by Beijing, and that that law um, covers things like terrorism and subversion, uh, collusion with foreign forces, and uh, separatism. And um, some, you know, some of the people arrested under that were um, uh, people who had uh, carried out. Uh, Violent protests, but in general, these were um, people who basically had argued um, for things um, that the government, uh, that the law um, outlawed. And um, one, uh, one one of the targets of, of that law was um, Jimmy Lai, who was, who was the founder of Apple Daily, um, and he um, was arrested. He's um, in prison at the moment, serving some sentences for. Um, participation in unauthorized demonstrations, but he also faces a, a, a national security law charge um, for, uh, I believe it's a collusion with uh, foreign forces. Essentially, he's accused of, um, of arguing for, for sanctions um, against Hong Kong. Uh, can US I, can, can I have you um, just explain the role and the importance of Apple Daily in... Sure. Um, you know, 
Hong Kong's media space. So, you know, I take it, as you said, that Jimmy Lai, the founder of this news outlet, was arrested under the uh, pretense of the national security law, which mm. was enacted in, in June of 2020. Um, what was Apple Daily? Because this this kind of sent shockwaves across the media universe, but I also want to impart upon the audience the role of and the importance of this specific media outlet. Yeah, I'm, Apple Daily um, was a, it's a really, was a really interesting publication. Um, it was one of the most uh, popular newspapers in Hong Kong. Um, it was very splashy, very colorful, um, very sort of tabloidy. Um, they uh, were very interested in celebrity gossip and, and, and covered it um, with a lot of vigor. Um, but at the same time, they, um, they approached um, political news with, with the same and, and, and scandals and corruption with, with a, the same sort of energy. Um, you know, and it was very much a, a product of, of Jimmy Lai. He was this, this, this guy who came to, to Hong Kong from, from mainland China as a child. He sort of worked his way up in clothing factories and then bought a clothing factory and became a tycoon, but um, decided that, that, that politics were sort of his, his biggest interest in, in, the, in the press. And he was, you know, he was sort of resolutely anti-communist, so um, his publication sort of had that that bent as well and so um that had a huge role in the, the publication um and in other publications owned by jimmy Lai had had a had a real effect on the media space here um it uh you know it sort of um created this intense competition and so while other papers might not approach stories in quite the same way that that uh, Apple Daily would um, having Apple Daily out there, sort of splashing these stories on the on the front page, you know, in the in a competitive media environment, put put pressure on other publications to cover things um, and and cover topics that they they might have sort of ignored or soft pedaled in the past. Um, it also, uh, you know, there there's a several generations of journalists that that worked at Apple Daily. And um, many of them left, uh, or you know, some of them left and, and joined these these uh, these smaller digital publications that that came about over the past decade in Hong Kong. And so it was last year that Apple Daily was forced to close, uh, essentially, you know, after the arrest of of Jimmy Lai, and that you know that event sent shockwaves across the media sphere, and was just an indication, I think, of the kind of trajectory uh, of things to come in Hong Kong over the last, say, I don't know, like 12, 18 months or so. Um, in the absence of Apple Daily, what other media outlets emerged that could you know, be considered you know, independent, free and fair media? Yeah, so um, there's, you know, there's a lot of publications. There's, there's you know, um, there's still, you know, still many publications in Hong Kong that are still operating. It's not as everything is closed down, but, but some of, some of the ones that sort of took over the mantle of Apple Daily, at least in some respects, um, are, are outlets like, like Stan News and, and Citizen News. Um, you know, they didn't have the sort of um, tabloid attitude that they were, they were much more serious, 
I would say, but, but they, but they, um, had the same, um, ethos of, 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 um, you know, of questioning the, uh, the powers that be of, of, um, you know, demanding answers of, of, of diving deeply into, into stories, political stories, um, of importance to Hong Kong. Um, and, you know, after the, the protests ended, um, a lot of the story moved to the courts. There were 10,000 people arrested and a, a couple thousand people have been charged with various crimes. Um, and so these publications um, devoted a, a lot of energy to, to covering that, that court story. And so you had these publications doing that kind of like shoe leather court reporting, uh, mm. but they've now been systematically target, targeted. C- can you tell us like what happened to Citizen News, for example? Sure. So, um, you know, once once Apple Daily closed, there was this this sort of lingering question about about what would what publications would be targeted next. Um, the the first one to, to be targeted um, after after Apple was was Stan News, um, and you know, stand um, is you know it's it's a relatively small operation. I believe they had about fifty staff. But um, they, they, you know, again, covered courts and, and politics quite deeply. Um, so they, um, they were raided at the, uh, the beginning of this year. And um, they were charged with uh, sedition. Two, two, two of the staff and, uh, and the publication itself were, were charged with uh, sedition. So sedition is not part of the uh the security law it's a um it's a um it's an old colonial law um that hasn't been used for quite some time i think the last time it was used was um during the cultural revolution um so in in the in the 60s in hong kong and um you know it's basically like inciting inciting hatred of of the government um and so that is, you know, kind of an indication that it's, you know, it's not just about the national security law, but rather a, a broader campaign to use um, lots of legal tools to, to target these outlets. Um, after, after that, you know, after those arrests and charges, um, stand um, closed. And then um, the next of all was, was Citizen News, which, which is, um, you know, operates in sort of a similar space. And they d- did not they were not, there were no arrests or, or charges at, at Citizen, but it, 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 their, their leadership said, you know, we, we can't operate in this environment. Um, um, I believe their, their chief editor, um, Daisy Lee said something to the effect of, I don't know which quote or which story or which headline is going to, to violate some law. And I, I can't ensure the safety of my staff. And, and so that's the reason that, that Citizen um, decided to close. Uh, so, I mean, it's clear that there is this systematic effort by authorities in Beijing to shudder or otherwise, you know, compel to silence uh, free press in Hong Kong. What, like, remains? Like, like you said, there still are publications out there that are still publishing. Are they publishing things that might certainly, like, cross the authorities in, in Beijing and invite, you know, their own demise? Um, you know, the... the... The press is not dead in Hong Kong by by any means. They're they're still. I'm speaking still, to you. <laughs> they're, um, they're they're still uh, they're still outlets uh, here. Um, 
um, you know, b- both in, in English and, and Chinese. Um, what's what's happened is that there's, um, you know, where there used to be this this spectrum of, of outlets in Hong Kong, you know, sort of ranging from these sort of government owned um, or, or Communist Party owned publications to, you know, out, out, outlets like Apple Daily uh, that I would say were sort of on the, the other side of the spectrum. The side of the spectrum that that publications like like Stan and Citizen and and Apple were on that sort of pro democracy side is 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 gone or or severely weakened and now there are, you know just a couple of of, of small um, digital outlets there um, so that means everything is, is sort of shifted and so what in the past would sort of be like a, um, the center. Um, and I'm, in, in this case, in, in Hong Kong, I'm, I'm thinking about like, uh, there's a Chinese language publication called Ming Bao, a very, very um, sort of storied publication that um, it, it was roughly in the sort of the center of things. It's now, you know, was targeted the, the, um, the other day um, by these pro-Beijing newspapers for something they wrote. And so it's, it's, a, it's, not, it's not that the media no longer exists in Hong Kong, but the, the spectrum is, is quite narrowed. Um, and, and could be narrowed further. And I think it has an effect on the sort of the, the environment. Um, there, um, last, late last year, there was this um, political story out of, out of China where a um, tennis player named Peng Shui um, accused a, um, a senior um, Communist Party um, official or recently retired official, Zhang Gaoli, of, of um, coercing her into sex. And um, it, it sort of, her, she had a statement that briefly appeared on a social media account and then disappeared. And it, you know, it was um, very murky. Um, foreign media covered it, but there was, there was a real silence in Hong Kong. And, um, you know, some of the stand and citizen, which were still around, they did cover it, but a, a lot of the sort of bigger publications um, shied away from it. Um, Ming Bao, they, they covered it in a, in a very short business story that, that sort of mentioned potential effects of, of businesses um, connected to this, this um, Chinese official. Um, I, I, I really, you know, we, we don't know, but I think had this happened, you know, say three years ago, when all these publications were still around and and Apple Daily was out there splashing it on its front page for days in a row that um, other other publications would have uh, felt a competitive pressure. And they were also felt a sort of sense of, of cover that the story's out there. It's, it's being why, you know, discussed in Hong Kong. It's on the newsstand. So we so so we can cover it as well. So I think that, you know, going forward, we may see more cases of that where. Um, there's there's a lot more caution um, in in the Hong Kong media, essentially like self censorship, knowing what not you know a story that they normally would have chased after that they normally would have covered widely. They are shying away from you know for fear of uh, crossing Beijing. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you know, I think that was sort of reflected in what the that uh, Citizen News editor said when they when they closed was that. We don't we don't know where the red lines are now anymore. We don't we don't know what what could cross the government and and, and we would be targeted. So what effect is this having on civic life in Hong Kong? I mean, right now, it seems that Hong Kong is 
living through or experiencing this really like awful experiment, almost like a controlled experiment. What happens when a once vibrant free press dies within just a, a few years? Um, are you seeing any like discernible effects among, you know, in in society right now or among the politics of, of Hong Kong? Like what happens when a once, you know, vibrant free press no longer is is able to, to, to you know, hold leaders to account? Yeah, it's it, it, it is a bit odd to sort of be, be living through this and, and sort of see all these things that um, in the past there was there was this, you know, a sense that of of. Res- of politics becoming more restricted, but it was, it happened at a very gradual rate and now it's happened at a, at a very sudden, sudden rate. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's worth noting that this is, this is happening, you know, it's not happening on its own. It's not just the, the press that's, that's feeling this. It's also the sort of, um, political world and the, and the business world that the, um, system of elections here, um, which is pretty complicated, but but in the past there was essentially about half the seats in the in the legislature were directly elected, and it was it was quite competitive, and there was a um, a, um, a large number of, of pro democracy candidates who would who would win in those elections. Um, that that system has been completely changed, and there's a, a lot more restrictions on on who can run. The government has much more of a role in, in vetting candidates. And so we, we recently had an election here. Um, the uh, turnout was, you know, the lowest it's, it's been in, in decades. And um, so there's not much enthusiasm for that. Um, that that's, you know, that's part of this sort of overall changes here. Um, it's almost like, also- like a negative feedback loop, right? Like you have a crackdown in civil society, a crackdown on the freedom of press, which depresses, you know, the democratic, the pro-democracy movement, which suppress, depresses turnout. You know, it seems to be all part of this, like, kind of, you know, this this negative feedback loop, this kind of vile system. I, I think that's right, um, and I, you know, I think that it's 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 sort of um, a sense that that um, that these things need each other. You know, you can't have um, you know free and fair elections without a sort of vigorous press covering them, and um, and so. You know, when a clampdown happens, it, it happens across many, many layers of society. Um, you know, I think that it, it it's harder to, to say exactly, you know, because we're, we're in the sort of COVID era. And so a lot of a lot of things are restricted. Um, you know, it's impossible to pretty much impossible to have a, a demonstration right now just because of, of COVID rules. But at the same time, you know, we know policing is much more aggressive. Um and when uh, we eventually come out of this pandemic and those, those, those dis- dis- distancing rules drop, you know, what will it be like? Will, will Hong Kong be able to, you know, have, have a protest or a march? Um, you know, we've, we've, we've seen um, Hong Kong was basically the only place um, on Chinese soil where, where Tiananmen was publicly the, the 1989 um, Tiananmen crackdown and and the protesters who were killed there um, was commemorated on a, on a large scale um, every year. Um, that vigil has been banned the past couple of years. Um, we've also seen sort of statues commemorating that have been were removed from university campuses over the uh, the winter holidays. 
so yeah, there is a real quieting of, of public life uh, in general here, I would say. So as an international reporter, I mean, you're publishing articles in the New York Times like all the time uh, about you know actual factual things that are happening in Beijing, you know, the crackdown on uh, press freedoms in, in Hong Kong, pardon me. Are, are you concerned that you will no longer be able to do your work, that you'll have to leave Hong Kong? Uh, it's, you know, it's always a, a, a possibility. Um, you know, the, the authorities have, have not been shy about, you know, saying that the, the national security law applies to everyone, um, Chinese and, and foreign uh, and people both in and outside of Hong Kong. Um, you know, I've, I've faced these sort of things before. Um, in, in 2014, I was, um, I was forced to leave Beijing where I had, um, lived and worked for seven years. Um, because of a, of a visa issue. Um, and we've, we've seen a, 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 num- a small number, but some reporters who have had their visas denied in, in Hong Kong as well. So that's sort of um, that tactic that's used by the central government authorities to, to force out reporters um, is becoming increasingly common in, in Hong Kong. So, yeah, I mean, it's, it's something in the back of my mind, but at the same time, I, you know, I, I don't, you know, worry about it day to day as I do my stories. Um, the moment you start sort of letting that affect what you do, um, you're sort of lost as a reporter. So, you know, I try and just go about my work as normal. Uh, lastly, you know, in the coming days or weeks or, or even months, you know, are there any sort of indicators or trends or decisions or inflection points that you'll be looking towards that will suggest to you whether or not this campaign of the suppression of, of free and independent media in Hong Kong is sort of accelerating or stalling or just continuing at pace? Is there anything you'll be looking towards? Yeah, I mean, one of one of the things everyone's um, looking at now is the the Hong Kong Journalist Association, um, which is a it's a, a, a union of, of of journalists from Hong Kong publications, um, including you know um, many people from the publications that have closed are, are members of the HKJA, and it has has been targeted for quite some time, going back to um, the middle of last year by um, state media. And, uh, you know, it's, it's, it seems like it, you know, is potentially a risk at the same time, it's not clear what they can be, you know, charged with. Um, and they are quite a a robust organization and, and don't seem to be, um, you know, willing to, to disappear easily. So, um, but with, you know, as, as, publications and as civil society organizations disappear, um, you know, it's, it's, it seems like it's could be a, um, another target and, and has been mentioned sometimes uh, recently in the, in the state controlled press. So that, that's one of the main things that we're looking at. Uh, well, Austin, thank you so much for your time. Awesome. Thank you, Mark. All right. Thank you all for listening. Thank you to Austin Ramsey for speaking with me. And, you know, the issue, the topic of Hong Kong is something that I'm just fascinated by this idea that in just the course of like a year, two years, a place could go from a vibrant liberal place to 
somewhere where you could be arrested for the words you write on the page. It, it happens so quickly. And the experience of shuttering of civil society, of closing of, of free media, of arresting of pro-democracy activists is, is something that I will return to often in the podcast. And it was what inspired me to want to commission the book For the Love of Hong Kong, a memoir from my city under siege by Haname Han Davis to give readers a sense of what it's like to live through this era in Hong Kong. So again, please do buy that book. Please do share this podcast episode, and we'll see you next time. Thanks. Bye.